Welcome to Patient Stories. My name is Dr. Bertrand Liang, and these are tales about some remarkable people whom I've met through the opportunity of being a physician. The underlying condition. Dr. K showed up in my volunteer clinic about a half hour late with no apologies or explanation, but in the midst of an argument with what I perceived to be his son. After the nurse had gotten them settled in the examination room, I went in noting that I'd need to be prompt because the patient had showed up late. Dr. K sniffed loudly with disapproval, noting that when he led the pathology department at one of the medical schools in Iraq, the doctors would be honored to see him late or not. Without thinking, I noted to the patient that I had other patients to see and that it wasn't fair to them to be late because of any patient, regardless whether they were a physician or not. Dad, you have to understand, we're in America noted his son, with clear annoyance in his voice. We're not in Iraq. There was a brief exchange in Iraqi, and then silence from both. I proceeded to speak with the patient and try to be, find out what the problem was that brought him to my clinic. Dr. K was suffering from headaches, and had been for some time, even when he was back in Iraq. They had definitely been exacerbated here, and the patient's son noted that his father was complaining about headaches virtually every morning. It's where my son lives. It's too noisy, said Dr. K, and then added, and no one around to make meals, to make coffee. His son interjected that in the U.S. everyone worked, including women like his wife. She makes most of the money, you know, he said apparently to both the patient and to me. You see, replied the patient, he should be ashamed. His wife not only works, she has more money than him. That's a disgrace. I stayed silent, at least for the moment, while both the father and the son seethed. I then asked about Dr. K's headaches, the character and causes, relieving factors, localization, and the other usual questions. When I asked about caffeinated beverages and alcohol, there was a strange silence. The patient then noted he drank one or two glasses of wine a night, which the patient's son noted that was more like three or four. Rather than be in the middle of a fight, I started asking about how well the patient slept at night. Terrible, was the reply, with a look over to his son. Too much noise. We eat too early. I saw the son roll his eyes, cross his arms over his chest. I asked Dr. K's son to leave while I examined the patient. I did this so I could talk to the patient about his transition to the U.S. and how he was coping with it all. The patient was teary-eyed and noted that he missed his wife, who had been a casualty of war, and his students, which had gone the way of the bomb medical school into many directions with nary a trace. He missed the respect and the reputation of a professor at a medical school might if it was all taken away. It was obvious that the patient was depressed and the alcohol and lack of good sleep hygiene was either a result or a cause of some of the problems he was experiencing. I told Dr. K it might behoove him to see a psychologist and that we had one at the clinic if he was interested in speaking with her. Somewhat surprisingly, he was very agreeable to this and we set up a meeting where we would presumably address the alcohol use as well as the poor sleep hygiene. The patient seemed almost relieved and asked me pointedly, so you don't think this is a glioblastoma? 
referring to the most malignant type of primary brain tumor? I don't think so. I see a lot of these patients and you don't have any real symptoms I can identify right now, I said. I then asked if the patient's son could come back in the room, to which the patient agreed. I gave the patient instructions on following good sleep hygiene, particularly on alcohol use, and told him that I would see him after the psychologist saw him. His son looked at me quizzically, but said nothing. And then I asked the patient to be on time, if at all possible, to which he smiled and nodded. A few weeks later, I got a call from the psychologist who'd seen Dr. K. He's dealing with a lot of loss, she noted, explaining all the things that had gone on with him and the series of removals of everything he found important in his life and profession. He loves to teach, she noted, but he doesn't have the ability to deal with changes in the U.S. His son is well-adjusted, which is, frankly, part of the problem. That's why they fight. But he's got a good prognosis. He's going to see me regularly for a while, but I think he can learn coping skills. I thanked her, and when I saw the patient again, he noted how much our psychologist had helped him. In the interim, he started to volunteer at the local medical school, teaching first-year students about neuropathology, an area which he knew quite well, and I had not realized at the outset. And in doing so, he found his time to drink at night diminished, and that he didn't seem to have his headaches anymore. It's a miracle, the brain, he noted to me as I finished up his exam. One day it causes great pain, another day it provides great joy. Truly the most fascinating of organs. I, of course, agreed with this assessment and noted that he probably didn't really need to see me anymore if we'd found the etiology or cause of the headache. Dr. K nodded in agreement, but asked if he could still see me ever so often in clinic. I asked why, and he noted, it's good to talk with clinicians on what we might see at the medical school, especially for the students, he said, with a seemingly new confidence. It would be great to learn from each other. I agreed with that and noted that sometimes we don't really understand the underlying condition and that it takes other means to figure it out. Yes, that's true, doctor. We both know that. Yes, doctor, I noted smiling. We both do, indeed. Thank you very much for joining me for Patient Stories. Be happy, be healthy, and find peace.